Dollar made a beat, so it's go time. Hey guys, welcome back to the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast under GBB's podcast network, which includes GBB Live, 3ND, and the newly formed podcast, Starting 5. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Nathan Chester, and I am joined by new multimedia staff writer, Leanna Ritter. Leanna, what's going on? Not much. How are you? doing well so I think is that your correct role like I, I'm not exactly sure I haven't gone back and actually looked at the masthead yet that you're on is that your official title yes yeah, senior multimedia writer <laughs> but um, I'm old enough to remember a time at GBB where we just had editors senior staff writers and staff writers so you represent an evolution you're something new so you should take some pride in that I definitely do yeah for sure so Leanna is new to the site, and this is also her second time on the GBB podcast. You were already on uh, GBB Live, weren't you? Yes. So kind of like here for the last two weeks, we're trying to introduce our audience, the new people on the site. So Leanna, I kind of want you to just share your story a little bit. I'm a little bit curious to hear more details about it. I followed your work for a while at Overtime Heroics, but what kind of led you into sports media, and how did you find your way to GBB? Um, well, it kind of starts when I guess I was a kid. My dad was a basketball coach. Um, he coached my church league. He coached at community centers. Um, so much to the extent that my first words were get the ball. <laughs> um, so basketball's probably always been one of my favorite things. Um, I don't think I really started to get into, I guess, even college ball until 2008, which many Memphians did around that time as well. I remember specifically being drugged to Buffalo Wild Wings every time there was an away game. Um, and I was super angsty about it because I was in middle school, but I really didn't appreciate it um, at the time. But I started to, as I got older, um, I think probably when I really started to appreciate the game of basketball was when I was in high school. Um, it was back in 2014. I went to White Station High School, and that was my senior year. That was the year that White Station was ranked nationally. I want to say we were ranked third, but I've slept a few times since then, so I'm not positive. Um, but that was the year that we played Hamilton High School three times, um, and we lost we won the first two and we lost the last time And the last time was when it actually mattered. It was the city championship. And that was also the year that the Lawson brothers were there. I think, yeah, I think that was probably their senior year as well. Um, and I have always been a real basketball fan as far as it goes from high school to college to even NBA. Um, I remember the first time I really started to pay attention to the Grizzlies I always went to games I mean church league everybody goes to Grizzlies games um but I think the first time that I really started to pay attention to the Grizzlies um was when 
Tony Allen sucker punched OJ Mayo. And I thought to myself, I was like, that is so punk rock. I, I, think, I think my favorite memory about that was the fact that the Grizzlies just blatantly lied about what happened right. to everybody. And they said, what was it? OJ, OJ fell down the stairs or like something? He was out for like a swollen face. It's like, what else does that come from? Um, <laughs> then they like coincidentally banned uh, gambling on the plane right after that. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. And the funny thing was OJ Mayo was in the right. Tony Allen lost whatever gambling deal they had and he wouldn't pay up and OJ went and confronted him about it and Tony Allen just apparently slugged him in the face. <laughs> right and it was like that is the most punk rock in the most Memphis thing possible. Um, I think that's probably the first time I really like paid attention to the NBA um, and I think it was the next game Tony Allen got to start because of that and it's like you get to sucker punch this guy in the face and then start afterwards like sending that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a great lesson to all the kids out there that if you <laughs> ever whether in basketball uh whatever career or business that you're in if you're looking for a promotion if you're looking to get a leg up on the competition then whoever's ahead of you just punch them right in the face and it'll all work itself out very powerful and timely lesson for these partisan and polarizing times that we live in well, this was also 2011, so things were a lot different back then. Uh, but, yeah, I think that was probably the first time I really paid attention to NBA basketball. Um, ever since then, I guess it's kind of been a thing for me. I, I really enjoy the fact that I can cheer for uh, players that went to Louisville and Duke and UCLA and not feel guilty about it, um, being a Memphian, of course. Um, but – Going forward, I guess, um, I went to the University of Memphis. I thought I wanted to be a teacher for five years. And three days before my college graduation, I had a total freak out. I was like, this is not for me. Uh, I think that I could teach, but long term, I don't know if it's something that I totally and completely and just love. And I've always been told that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So I walked across the stage, got my um, degree and the following summer. So this was last summer. I spent the entire summer trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I've always loved sports, basketball specifically. Um, I thought about maybe doing sports medicine, uh, something to that effect, but I've always enjoyed writing. I had a personal blog about just life and everything all throughout college. And I was like, why don't I put my two hobbies together? Um, and ever since then, I've kind of been on this path. Uh, my very first game that I ever covered was for uh, No Huddle Sports. It was the uh, University of Memphis football team this past year, and I covered them all season, and that was a blast. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I move towards my favorite sport? Um, so I went and I, I covered a couple of college basketball games. I covered the Memphis team. Um, with the crazy season that they had. And now I'm here. My sister actually DM'd me the Twitter post about the openings. And she was like, this is for you. And I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's how I'm here. 
and I'm here you are, and I'm going to tell you something that uh, not even you know right now, but actually I was having a conversation with uh, Darren Jeans, a former GBB rider now at Overtop Heroics, and he was telling me about, he said he was telling me about how frustrated he was. I was like, well, man, why are you frustrated? He goes, well, there's this, there's this girl on my site, like she runs all the social media, like she's phenomenal, and she's applying for GBB, and he's like, I know for a fact I'm going to lose her. And, like, I knew who I knew who he was talking about back at that point, but I thought it was funny to see how other people had recognized how you kind of, like, moved up here in the last few years after you kind of discovered a calling in that, how you've been able to combine those two interests. So I think that's awesome. Um, I think it's neat to see how sports um, never leave you. Your love for sports never quite leaves you, even when you start to go off to pursue – different career paths. Like I was telling you before we started this call that I felt a call to ministry in high school. And I knew that was something that I wanted to do, but I loved sports. And that was never something that I was willing to totally let go as far as the career was concerned. And I surrendered to the ministry, but I still wanted something in sports on the side. So that's why I'm currently in sports journalism. That's why I'm currently writing for GBB, but I'm always interested to hear about people's background with sports and basketball in particular because, and yours is no exception, everybody's got a unique story about how they got into basketball. There's always that one memory that you point out, and you said, uh, like, Buffalo Wild Wings going to see Tigers away games. Um, it's the little things like that that I think you always remember over the years. It's the little things like that that never fully leave you. Um, one small memory I have for myself was um, the very first basketball game I ever played in was when I was five years old in church league at Germantown Baptist Church. And my dad was my coach, and we weren't very good by any stretch of the imagination. But there, there were two great things that happened in that first organized basketball game that ever scored. The first thing was is that I guess at five years old, like I equated basketball with soccer. So I thought if you scored a basket, your reaction should be similar as to when you score a goal <laughs> in soccer. So I scored one basket, was like running around doing cartwheels and like whatever else. And my dad's like, hey, you need to get back on defense now. <laughs> And then uh, the second memory was is I hit a – apparently, I don't remember this, but I hit a game winner in that game, and apparently my dad was jumping up and down like it was game seven of the NBA finals. <laughs> it's the little things like that that stick with you, and I think it's really unique to hear people's stories. Um, for me personally, when it came to the NBA – um, I idolized Michael Jordan to no end growing up. And there were two things of Michael Jordan. The first is obviously Space Jam. Um, everybody of our generation loved and watched Space Jam. But I remember when I was like 10 years old reading this Bill Simmons article from the 1990s. And this was me kind of falling in love with the aura of basketball, kind of like the cultural zeitgeist, I guess you would say, that followed Jordan. And there's one sentence in that piece that's always stuck with me through the years, through all the years of writing, through all the years of watching and covering basketball. And he was talking about Jordan's last game in Chicago, game six, 1998 finals, playing the Utah Jazz. Um, and Jordan hitting the final shot over Byron Russell to win that game. Um, he in the sentence the Simmons wrote was it wasn't that Jordan made the shot to win his sixth NBA title it was the reality that we knew he was going to make the shot like dribbling down the court um, everybody in the building knew what was going to happen there are 20,000 people just standing there helpless knowing they can't do anything because they know what's about to happen um, 
like I said, it's the little things, the little cultural moments, the little personal moments that you have. So, um, yeah, that's for me, but it's great to hear your story too. So kind of moving off the uh, personalized individual level here, the Memphis Grizzlies are about to start playing some basketball and you do now cover the Memphis Grizzlies for an NBA blog. So it probably makes some sense to talk about them. What are you looking forward the most to seeing once the Grizzlies resume play in the bubble? Um, first of all, I think I'm overall, I'm pretty interested to see how Zion gets back in the bubble. Um, Cause even if by some miracle he comes back and he tests positive, it's like the cure for the coronavirus will pop out of the sky. Um, <laughs> they will make sure of it. <laughs> I, I'm super curious to see how they're going to excuse it, I guess. Um, but as far as the Grizzlies go, I think it's a tough blow with uh, Winslow's injury. So that's a little disappointing. Uh, but it's still the fun same young team that it has been this entire season and I'm very curious to see how they do with such a long break coming back um I think that'll be really interesting to see I think as far as Winslow and I tweeted about this yesterday there's some truth to the old saying that you can't miss what you never had um the Grizzlies are currently sitting one game over one game under 500 one game one game over 500 sitting in the eighth spot and they obviously did that about Justice Winslow. Now, you still had some complimentary pieces on the team throughout most of that run, like Jay Crowder and uh, Solomon Hill. But I'm going to make a site manager, Joe Mullinax, happy for a second. Jay Crowder was taking about eight three-point attempts a game and shooting 29% from three. And don't think the Grizzlies are missing him too much. You can say whatever you want about veteran leadership, and I'm sure he provided that in the locker room. But Anthony Tolliver said so himself a couple of days ago. He said, these are very young guys, but this is a mature group. He said, they're young, but they're not a bunch of knuckleheads. And honestly, I think that should be a part of the marketing campaign or the marketing slogan in some way. But um, – I don't think they're going to miss Winslow too much in Orlando because it, it may make it even easier to rediscover the chemistry they had before the lockout um, without him because he was never in the fold at any point this year. My biggest concern is that it's just further evidence that he can't stay healthy over a long period of time. I agree 115%. And I, I read um, an article by Jeff Hawkins today basically saying this is not a curse. This is not Chandler Parsons 2.0. But being a Grizzlies fan, it kind of feels like it so far. I'm not saying that he has the same social aspects as Chandler Parsons, because let's face it, I have not seen him at the bluff yet. But <laughs> I definitely – I have a little bit of PTSD, so I'm a little bit on edge, and I feel like this could be – a very expensive mistake in the long run. But honestly, I'm for anything that got rid of Iggy. So I'll take it as a win for now because we don't we, – I mean, I can't see the future, so I don't know if this is going to continue to happen. But if it continues to happen, it could be a totally expensive mistake. I don't want to crap on Chandler Parsons too much here. Um, the guy dealt with some life-threatening injuries and in a hor horrible car accident. I think it was back in January. And I've really not come across any information or update as to how he's doing. So I hope he's doing well now. Um, like you said, as long as Justice Winslow is not hitting on college girls at the bluff, I think he'll be all right in that way. But 
I, the Chandler Parsons cops just bothered me to no end because I know Winslow's got an entry history himself. He's missed, I think, off the top of my head, 146 games in the last four years, uh, which is a, an insane amount. It, it goes to show further evidence that he can't stay healthy over the long-term portion of his career. But Chandler Parsons was never, ever healthy at any time. His career was shot the moment he uh, put ink on the dotted line for the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, whether that's because they didn't do their research um, into his medical condition, whether Chris Wallace just said, screw it, um, we need a marquee free agent to make sure that Mike Conley sticks around. So, you know what, we're going to sign Chandler Parsons and just hope for the best. Or if you, the medical doctors just made mistakes with him at the time. I don't know, but Chandler Parsons, for the very moment he started to play, was very clearly he was never he was not himself, and he was never going to be himself again. Justice Winslow was perfectly healthy in training camp. You saw it on Zoom the other day. He's hyped up, ready to go, yelling, primal screams, getting ready to get back into NBA action for the first time with the Memphis Grizzlies. He was ready to go. And gosh, a guy can't miss eight games at Orlando at a luxury resort in the middle of a cataclysmic pandemic without getting Chandler Parsons cops. It's crazy. It's just totally crazy to me. And then let me backtrack a little bit, okay? I'll, I'll take back the Chandler Parsons comment to an extent. Would Vince Carter would be a better example of comparison, I guess, considering all things. I honestly cannot think of another precedent. Not really a good comparison. Well, even for Vince Carter, like obviously like the meta arc of his career, there will right. probably never be another player who is a superstar for about three or four years whose best statistical season was his second year in the league and then was kind of known for being a bad attitude, was kind of known for being a bad teammate kind of started to trail off towards the midway of his career and then totally remolded himself into a phenomenal teammate, a phenomenal leader, and then a great role player over the second half of his career and play until he's 41 years old. There will never be someone who follows that arc of their career. But even in like the small mini arc that he had with the Grizzlies, he comes in, I think he averaged 12 points a game. He was a great bet scorer for the Dallas Mavericks the previous year. He comes into the Grizzlies. He's 38 years old, and he sucks his first year there. He has, he has a few good games. Um, he had a great game against Houston earlier in the season from that year. Um, Sacramento, when they came back from over 20-plus points at home, when Courtney Lee hit the game winner, the layup at the buzzer, he hit several big threes in that game. But it looked to me like he was done. They couldn't expect – really anything substantial from him beyond right. the year. And then the following year, or the next two years, really, he's probably the most reliable rotation player that they have. I don't know if he found a Lazarus pit or some type of – Fountain of youth, maybe. The fountain of youth that he can always go back to. But um, maybe he can provide some hope in someone like Justice Winslow, who has dealt with injuries over the last few years – I think it's worth noting that um, a good significant chunk of those games he has missed throughout his career, I think he played 18 games his second season in the league. He played 60-plus each of the two years before this year. And that's not great. You'd prefer to get into the 70 to 80 range. But it's not like he's shot. It's not yeah. like he literally is a talented guy that can't play half a season. So I think there is some encouragement there to know that just because – 
you're struggling health-wise at one aspect of your career, that doesn't necessarily have to rewrite the story for your whole career either. I would say that's pretty fair. It's just being a Memphis fan, we always like to think that the world is out to get us, and sometimes it is. Memphis versus everybody, but it just too similar. <laughs> and I, I, get, I get the frustration with Zion Williamson, the national media just – um, sings his praises all day long, day and night, morning and rain, or sunshine and rain. They can't help themselves. But let's not act like John Moran hasn't gotten a lot of national love himself this year. He's going to be the unanimous rookie of the year. There's not going to be a single voter who I think goes in a different direction. The Grizzlies are set up for success, not only here in the short term, far beyond what anybody else could have expected. But, and I'm making this case in an article in my feature that's going out tomorrow morning. Um, during the grit and grind years, um, they were excellent. They set the bar for excellence in a way that professional basketball never had in Memphis. But there was always this sense, especially during the latter half, it's like, all right, this is great. When is it going to fall apart? Um, there was a very fixed ceiling. And then maybe in 2013, maybe in 2015, you could talk yourself into believing that they were finally going to break through under the right circumstances. But as fun as they were, as memorable as they were, as much as everyone at Memphis loved them, there was always a cap on what they were going to achieve. Many of us, including myself, weren't willing to admit that at the time. But deep down, we knew that. Yes. And then I, I look at Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. and the other members of this young core, and I'm looking at Ja, and when you take individual success as well as team success into consideration, he's the best rookie point guard the last two decades. Name somebody who was better. You could probably – you can name Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, as people put up comparable numbers, but they didn't have their teams in the playoffs. Um, so I look at him, who's 20 years old. I look at Jaron Jackson, who, as a 6'11 big man, is already one of the most prolific shooting big men in NBA history and has tremendous two-way potential. And he's 20 years old, too. And nothing is ever guaranteed. You can look at the Oklahoma City Thunder over the last decade to know that championships, even for incredible young cores, are not guaranteed. But I look at them and think it's going to have to take some dramatic bad luck, knock on wood from here on out, for them to at least not have just as much success as the previous generation of Grizzlies did. Absolutely. Um, I think the sky's the limit. But it's – I don't know. It seems to me that – it's hard to get out of the idea of when does the good stop? <laughs> I guess the pessimistic ideology or excuse me, ideal of Grizzlies basketball. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's something you have to look at long-term and think, what are you going to be satisfied with as a fan or even someone covering the team what if I told you in five years that John Morant, Jared Jackson, we'll say Brandon Clark, DeAnthony Melton, they're all still here. And let's say they've made two Western Conference finals. Let's expand that timeline. Let's say this group is together for a decade. I hope it's longer than that. But let's just say hypothetically they're here for a decade. And maybe they make three Western Conference finals and one NBA finals during that time, but they don't win a championship. I would be very interested to ask people that and feel what their feedback – because I think people's expectations over the long term have been 
magnified and exponentially grown to this idea that, yeah, they're, they're going to win a title together at some point. It may just be one, but they're, they're going to eventually win a title together. Um, I remember back in the lead up to this past year's draft, and I posted the question on Twitter. I said, if John Morant turned out to be as good as Pete Mike Conley right now, I said, would you be satisfied? And I think 65% of the people I polled on Twitter said yes. That would not be the case if you polled them today. And I, partially because there's a very small vocal minority that thinks he's better than Mike Conley ever was right now, which I think is just kind of crazy. But um, he carries himself of a certain level of swagger, a certain level of grandeur. He has an aura about him that the great ones have, that obviously someone like Mike Conley, as good as he was, not really anymore is, <laughs> um, didn't possess. What, what do you think about that? What, what would you be satisfied over the long term as a Grizzlies fan? Um, it depends. I've always said that I just I want one ring. Um, but I feel like we, with the young team that we have and the talent that we have, they are capable of so much more. I think it could happen multiple times. I mean, look at how far they come in a year. This was we, – we never – first of all, we never dreamed we'd be having a conversation about this July 22nd. But, I mean, looking at the past – before all of this happened, nobody expected any of this. Mm-hmm. I surely didn't. Um, so, I don't know. I think it would be naive to say that I, I wouldn't want – to win a final but I would be happy with I would be happy with a consecutive well maybe not even consecutive a consistent playoff run even I would like to be ha- I would be happy to be yeah. where we were in 2013 even you know um and even not even consistently every couple of years I'd be happy with it we don't have to make the playoffs every year for me to be happy but to know that it's that we are capable of doing so that I would be pretty content with that. Yeah. Be grateful for what you have. Take a look at the Sacramento Kings over the last 15 years, the Minnesota Timberwolves over the last 15 years. Um, I don't think anyone locally or nationally gave Chris Wallace and the Grizzlies enough credit. And trust me, I wrote my own piece as critical of Chris Wallace over the years. I'm not a Chris Wallace stan, as you could probably call me. But um, I do think he deserves some credit for – having this franchise having the third longest active playoff streak in the league at their peak. Now, granted, he beat that drum till that drum could be beat no more as to why he was a good general manager for that to also excuse his failings and not adding the tertiary and complimentary pieces that the team needed to get over the hump. But it is what it is. It's reality. And I do think there needs to be some gratefulness and appreciation on our part that we were able to have that because that's definitely – not something that small markets are able to have. And let me tell you something else as far as, like, the present is concerned. Um, it is very rare for a small market to, number one, have the extended success that the Grizzlies had during the grit and grind era, and then basically just have God's blessing upon them within two years and to be in the position that they are now. With a, to be back in the playoffs with an entirely new group, new core of players – um, I can't think of a precedent for that in recent NBA history where maybe San Antonio is the closest you can get to it. Um, they basically did a closet mini rebuild after their 2011 defeat to the Grizzlies in the playoffs. Um, even they didn't expect Kawhi Leonard to become what he did, but they were able to rebuild it that way. And now they're going to have to do it again. And I don't think they're going to get quite as lucky the second time around, but 
it's just enjoying this moment, enjoying the journey and not the destination. It's fun to wonder about what the destination could be. Um, and answering my previous question, it, could they win multiple titles together? Yes, but if you gave it one ring, Memphis would be talking about that for decades, for 50 years. It's all they would talk about. We still talk about 2008, 12 years later, and it was the most heartbreaking defeat I have ever seen as a sports fan. Conversation about it in this podcast. So it's just, yeah, I mean, I think the city of Memphis just wants one ring. That's yeah. it, Give me something. Uh, I think that I, there are going to be people that are bitter and want more and that are greedy, but I think the city as a whole could be very content with one ring given the fact of where we've been. Um, yeah. John Morant, if he wins the title in Memphis, becomes immortalized. Be- becomes Memphis's greatest icon, I think. I don't think there would be anyone. He'd surpass Penny. He'd surpass any other sports icon. Really, any icon anywhere, Memphis. Um, I can't, yeah, he would be first on the totem pole, first on top of Mount Rushmore in Memphis. And the other players who would be pivotal pivotal in that championship team, they would be as well. That's how much it means here. This is how much this city loves basketball. And that's something to admire. That's something to love and appreciate. And I think a day's coming where maybe if Penny stops getting hammered by the worst luck I've ever seen over the last few years and he's able to accomplish his vision, and maybe if this core group of the Grizzlies stays together over the next decade, we'll get to see something like that. I think that's a real possibility. I, yeah, there's definitely potential, especially – I mean, I just – I keep thinking about where we were a year ago. You know, I, I think there's potential for that to happen. Yeah. All right, one last quick question, and then we'll sign off. The Coach of the Year debate going on right now, where do you think Taylor Jenkins should rank in that? Hmm. That's a tough one. I think it depends on what you prioritize to a certain degree, because I can look at Mike Budenholzer and think, okay, he's objectively one of the best coaches in the NBA. He's led his team to the best record two years in a row now in the entire league. It helps when you got Giannis Antetokounmpo, but it's obvious by the way he, his philosophy on offense, among other things, that he's maximizing the abilities of everyone on that roster. I've seen people call Dante DiVincenzo, whom I love, an elite role player. It's a bridge too far. Um, I've seen Bleacher Report call Chris Middleton, whom I also love, a top 10 player in the last week. That tells me how good Mike Budenholzer's been done. And Jenkins has done the most of less, I think. They were expected to be one of the worst teams in the league. The Grizzlies, I think, according to Vegas, were – the over-under was at 26 games, and they're sitting a game over 508 spot in the playoffs. If that's what you prioritize, Jenkins could be your coach of the year. But then you got Nick Nurse in Toronto, who that team being second in the East is absolutely absurd. In the absence of Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard after he went to the Clippers, I don't know how they're possibly sitting at where they are right now. They have a bunch of talented role players who mesh well together, but – with Pascal Siakam, who's awesome, him being your best player and sitting at second in the East, that's pretty amazing to me. So I'd probably say Nick Nurse with Taylor Jenkins being a close second or third. 
I'd say that's pretty fair. Um, I don't know. I feel like with as little as we've started with and the adversity this entire team has seen from day one of the beginning of the season, it w- I, you know, I think it would be fair for a close second. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he's the guy going forward, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, obviously, the front office did an extended search, and he was the candidate they best envisioned. I liked him a lot when he came in. I think anyone who comes from the Greg Popovich, Mike Budenholzer coaching tree, that's going to encouraging to me as far as the credentials are concerned. And the way he has transformed the way the Grizzlies have played offense in a different way, the pace and space, motion-heavy offense, let-it-fly philosophy that you've never seen from any Grizzlies team before. Um, I expect them to be top 10 in offensive efficiency going into next year, and I expect them to pick up right where they left off before the season was unceremoniously suspended due to COVID. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in Orlando. I think them going forward four in those first eight games would be fair and put them in prime position of where they need to be to get into the playoffs. But I do know they're not going to back down to anybody, and I expect them to play to the level they did before everything went to hell. Yeah, I don't get the feeling that Ja Morant is going to have to do anything. Have you – has there – John Morant possesses a quality that I don't think any Grizzly before him, even Zach Randolph, who I think possessed it to a certain degree, had – there's an aura around all-stars, certain all-stars and superstars in particular, that you as an opposing fan just fear them and think, oh, they're not going to let them lose. Oh, oh, I felt that way. The last time I really felt that way was watching Kawhi Leonard play the Grizzlies in 2017, where I thought – Gosh, the Grizzlies have outplayed them all game, but Kawhi Leonard has decided the Spurs aren't losing tonight. That's that's great. Um, he's that type of player, and I feel comfortable watching him go up against the Damian Lillards of the world, against other star point guards, other star guards in the league, and feeling comfortable that if John Morant decides to put his foot down like he has in the fourth quarter many times this year, and I'm feeling pretty good about the outcome, no matter what it ends up being. I, I agree. Um, I am, I will say I am a little nervous um, given our, I guess I hate to say luck, but our luck with injuries. Um, I, even though he may think he is and he plays like he is, he's not Superman. And that terrifies me for the future moving forward past the bubble. He's unbreakable. I'm speaking it into existence. He may not be. We may find that out in the future. I pray to God not. I will give him something off my lower body if I have to. But um, he's unbreakable. Um, If he's able to take the falls that he did and be okay the way he was throughout the most of this year, I hope 12 extra pounds of muscle will be a huge benefit to him in that. But, Leanna, I think that's all we need to talk about for today. Why don't you plug your stuff where people can find you on social media? Um, you can find me at Twitter. Uh, my handle is – you know what? I should probably check because I don't even know my own handle. How horrible is that? It's 2020. Nothing to do but look at Twitter. Um, it is at Leanna Ritter underscore on Twitter. 
And the funny thing is, is I changed my Twitter handle like a year ago and I was still giving the wrong handle on this for at least a solid six months before Parker decided to correct me. So you're good. Um, you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24 and you can find all my Grizzlies related content at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Leanna, I have a saying that I like to end our podcast with, and it's the saying that Anthony Davis left the New Orleans Pelicans with. That's all, folks.